Hey, y'all. Before we begin this episode, I got to tell you about something pretty awesome real quick. Y'all know that one of my favorite things to do is wake up every morning with my Four Sigmatic coffee and listen to a podcast. So I got to tell you about one that I am absolutely loving right now. It's called The Time Turner, Harry Potter in Depth. I am a huge Harry Potter fan. That may be a surprise to you. It may not. But I'm loving this podcast. It's made by a brother-sister duo who are a historian and a lawyer. And they're using those skills from their careers to dissect Harry Potter in a really cool way. They go chapter by chapter. So for people like me who just love Harry Potter and can't get enough of it, there are so many awesome episodes. You aren't going to want to miss a single one because each one has hot takes, big questions, everything you're looking for from an in-depth analysis of our favorite book series. So go today, as soon as this episode is over, and check out the Time Turner Harry Potter In-Depth. And then come back and thank me later. I know you will. But I'm going to just go ahead and invite uh, Jay Schiffman up to share his story. So let's give it up for Jay. Welcome to the Choose Your Struggle podcast. I am your host, Jay Schiffman. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Choose Your Struggle podcast. We are at episode 35. Before we begin, a couple things real quick. Sound quality is not going to be as great this week. I apologize. I am in the basement of an Airbnb in Philadelphia in the neighborhood of Fishtown. Some cool things happening, but I'll talk about all of that on a future episode. Also, some shout outs this week. Huge shout out to an old friend, a great supporter of this podcast, a Patreon supporter, Spark Tabor. It's his birthday this week. Y'all have heard me shout out Spark before. If you want something fun to listen to on this week's episode of his podcast, the Cookies for Breakfast podcast, uh, I was on it talking about middle school dances with Spark and our other longtime really good friend, Pat McGrath. It's a funny episode. We, we get into some of the amazingness of <laughs> middle school dances and also songs that were huge uh, and popular when we were in middle school and high school around the year 2000. So uh, check that out if you want something fun and funny to laugh at. Also, a huge shout out to a new Patreon supporter. I meant to be doing this all the time. I have forgotten. That is on me. I apologize. John Hikes is a longtime friend and a guy that I've known for, for you know, since we worked together almost over half a decade ago. And he jumped on as a Patreon supporter last week. So thank you, John. I really appreciate it. As always, you can find all of that in the show notes or on the podcast website. Speaking of which, people are loving some of these new sponsors for Sigmatic and Pair of Thieves have both been really popular. People are feeling it. Keep checking them out. Obviously, as I always say, you know the, the, the links are in the show notes on my podcast website, which is jshiftman.com, and just go to the podcast page. Keep getting your discounts there. I, I got to tell you, actually, my wife and I are walking around Philadelphia where everyone is wearing a mask on the street, everywhere. I mean, the first day we got here, we felt weird because we didn't have our mask readily available, and 10 minutes in, we like pulled them out of our bags and put them on. We were the weird ones for not walking around with the mask on. We are both wearing our Pair of Thieves masks, and they're so comfortable. So definitely check them out. 
for the price, they're wonderful. I mean, it was like 15 bucks for three masks with the discount that you get for being a you know supporter of this podcast. So check that out. All right, enough of that. This week's episode is fun. It's a fun episode this week. The interview is with Ivy Watts, who is an incredible uh, mental health advocate, speaker. She does a lot of work with some cool organizations that I like. That's how I found her. And now I just swear by her Instagram because it's so uplifting and it teaches a lot. I'm a huge fan. Uh, I, I posted about her on LinkedIn this week because I just am such a big fan of hers. Check out Ivy Watch. You'll, you'll hear plenty of times in this interview where to find her, but beautifully, simply you. Definitely check out Ivy. The shout out this week is from Doug Sands, who is a professional hypnotist. Now I know what you're thinking. Oh my God, a pocket watch. No, no, no. In fact, we talk about that. You hear me, usually, you know, I don't jump in on the shout outs. I just let people talk, but you hear me on this one because I had to ask him a couple of questions. It was really interesting. One of the things that I've gotten feedback on in the podcast survey, which by the way, a bunch of you filled that out last week. Thank you for doing that. As always, find that in the show notes and the podcast website. A bunch of you commented that you wanted more, some people said unique, some people said just different uh, voices in, in, in many different ways that you can describe that. And so Doug is part of that. He, you know, being a professional hypnotist, it's not what you think of when you go to mental health, but he does some really cool work. So you'll hear that and more of that coming, by the way, there's going to be more sort of different voices. I, I, I hear you loud and clear, uh, working on some fun things down the road. Not probably this season. This season, I've actually wrapped recording, which is pretty incredible. We are at the end of September. I am recorded through uh, in early December. And then I'll take a break for a couple of weeks because this is a lot of work. I love doing it, but it's a lot of work. And I'll be ready for season two, which will kick off in January. So next season, you'll start to hear some different things. And I'll obviously do a season wrap episode to talk a little bit about this stuff and what's coming for season two. But that's way down the road. All right. Without further ado, keep reaching out. You can find me on social media at Choose Your Struggle or Jay Schiffman, J-A-Y-S-H-I-F-M-A-N, or on Instagram at The Next Schiffman. Find me at my website, jschiffman.com. A lot of people reached out after last week. There was just something about that show that was super motivating. Uh, keep doing that. I would love hearing from you. It's one of my favorite things in the world. Enjoy these conversations, and I'll catch you at the end for a really informative good egg. My name is Doug Sands, and I am here with Anywhere Hypnosis today. I work with clients anywhere around the world, and I specialize specifically with anxiety relief. I got started into hypnosis actually through meditation, and having struggled with anxiety and depression myself, I was very interested in helping out people and making sure that I actually made a difference with these tools. I actually studied psychology in college and hypnosis is quite an interesting thing when you actually study the neuroscience behind it. Um, hypnosis is quite simply the fastest way that we learn anything. Uh, when, you, when you look at a school child, um, when they're in the classroom, they blank out for a minute when they're learning something new. That's actually their brain going into trance, going into a form of hypnosis that they put themselves in so that their brain can code that information and actually make memories. Most people know of hypnosis because they saw a stage show at their high school or at the college or something. And there's kind of a divide between hypnotists, but we actually have that entertainment side of hypnosis to thank for it because that's what kind of kept it alive all these years. 
so that we could actually study it and learn more about the helping side of it. There's so much more to use hypnosis for. If you can, if a person can put someone into hypnosis on stage to make them bark like a dog or to do these silly things, then think about what you can actually do when you want to make positive changes in your life. If they can do ridiculous things on the stage that they seemingly wouldn't do in other areas of their life, think of how you can use that for your own benefit. Like I get that totally. Is there a bit of like, is there any, is there any love loss between people like you who use this for something therapeutic and, and healthy? And then the people like that who, who are using it as a joke, I mean, is they kind of like, Hey, you're, you're ruining the reputation. <laughs> I personally don't. I think that they're both uh, beneficial tools because the one side does help get the word out about it and it's becoming more and more popular. Huh? So, so do you, do you like when you see something like that, you know, or a cartoon that uses hypnosis, do you sit there going, Oh, that's not how it's done. <laughs> Pretty much. I, I think about that and just the misconceptions that we still have. There's a lot of bad information. So you, just to be clear, you're not holding up a pocket watch going, you're getting very sleepy. No hypnotists haven't done the pocket watch thing for 50 years. Hypnosis, it's all about relaxation. It's all about going into that place where you can allow changes to happen. And so it starts off with an induction. You get the person comfortable and you get them into that deep state, into that sleep-like state. And then you give them suggestions. And usually beforehand, I will work with a person to craft those specific suggestions that they want. Even though I am not a, um, a licensed healthcare professional, like a doctor or a psychiatrist, I do still operate by that personal code of ethics. And I let all of my, all of my clients know that anything they share within the session is completely confidential and it's completely covered. You can find me at anywherehypnosis.com. I am also starting out my own podcast about finding meaning in life as well as um, creating the life that you want. And that is making meaning podcast that is just coming out. You can find that on on your favorite podcast app. So again, Anywhere Hypnosis and Making Meaning Podcast. There's very little better than waking up in the morning to a truly fantastic cup of coffee. And if you're like me, you're looking for something that tastes fresh and isn't weak or overproduced. That's why I've switched to Four Sigmatic and I won't go back. Four Sigmatic mixes their beans with mushrooms to give your brain that jumpstart you didn't know you needed. So go to the link in my show notes or on my podcast page and use the code CHOOSEYOURSTRUGGLE at checkout for 10% off. You can sign up for one of their awesome subscriptions or just try buying a bag. And with their 100% money back guarantee, there's no downside. So check them out today and don't forget the code CHOOSEYOURSTRUGGLE. My name is Ivy Watts, and I'm a mental health empowerment speaker. Uh, and you are an awesome Instagram presence. That's how I first <laughs> came to know about your work and where I see most of what you do. But before we really get into all of your work, if you wouldn't mind telling me your story and what got you to where you are today. Yeah, so I struggled with my mental health for most of my life. Uh, when I was younger, I always just thought it was stress and emotions and always had a lot of headaches and stomach aches and was always at the doctor's office, really trying to figure out what was going on, but never was diagnosed with anxiety. Just was always like, oh, like, if, you know, you're just kind of that 
that kind of kid. And that's kind of how I internalized it and really believed a lot of the stigma associated with mental health problems and never really felt like I could talk about any of that stress that I was going through and the expectations and pressure to be perfect that I felt like my parents and family and friends had on me that I also had on myself. And I was a student athlete for my life as well and really kind of internalized the identity of being a track athlete. And in addition to really being having this perfectionist mindset of being perfect in the academic world, I also had this mindset I need to be perfect in the athletic world. And there's a lot of pressure and expectations to meet certain standards in athletics. And so this really led to my anxiety continuing to just build and build. And in college, the identity piece, still not knowing who I was outside of athletics and still struggling really in silence. When I left college, I didn't know who I was. I felt like a failure for not meeting a lot of those standards that my coaches, teammates, and parents had for me, even though I was leaving my school really looking like this perfect person on the outside. I had a 3.97 GPA. I was woman of the year for my conference and for the NCAA. So like, I had all of these really great accomplishments that really didn't mean much to me because I was telling myself for my entire life that who I was wasn't good enough and that I always needed to be better and it just continued to fuel this negative spiral about myself. And the anxiety after college turned into depression and a struggle with suicidal thoughts, being in this really toxic and emotionally abusive relationship that I thought that I deserved. And really just after struggling for so long in silence, wanting to figure out what I could do differently for myself, how I could learn to even just like myself and get out of this really negative spiral of all of this really negative self-talk and self-hate. And after kind of having a conversation with a friend who also looked like she had it all together on the outside, and she told me that she was struggling and that she was getting help through therapy, that was really the push I needed to break down a lot of that stigma that I personally had experienced around mental health and really pushed me to say, okay, you know, maybe I can get therapy. Maybe it can be useful for me if it was useful for her. And I was finally able to, to get help for myself and to see that talking about what I was going through wasn't shameful or embarrassing or, or bad, but that it could be really beneficial to help me to get through the struggle I was going through. And that's where I got to the point where I'm at today to be able to um, share my story and help other people who are struggling and feel really alone and like that they can't talk about what they're going through like I felt for really my entire life until a couple of years after college. So <laughs> there's a lot in there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I obviously talk to a lot of people doing this podcast, but also just because like you, this is what I do. And it sounds, I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush, but for a lot of people who are very dedicated to athletics, it sort of plastering over or, or masquerading even, I think would be a better way to put it, is a key part of that, uh, of who they are and something they have to work to overcome. I've heard people describe it before as, as, or, or sort of attribute it to the, the, the competition itself, that the fact that you don't have time for that when you're trying to be your best and when, when you're leaving it all out there on the field, would you say that that's sort of your experience as well? Or did that come from somewhere else? Yeah, I think that the identity piece really is just circles around like when you're an athlete and, and when you want to go on to play either college athletics or, or pro athletics, like it's really that 
your, you know, your family, your friends, you almost become specialized in one area. And I think that it just becomes like the self-fulfilling prophecy that like, okay, I'm going to, you know, get praise from people if I am doing really well at this one specialized thing. And so then I'm kind of just seeking that out. And so that becomes who I am is this, this piece of me that I know I'm really good at. And, you know, I, I'm told that I can get scholarships if I, if I stick with it and I continue to do well with it. So I think that that identity just becomes because it's so much of your life because yeah, that competition that you're really out there, you have to leave everything out there on the track, on the field, on the court, whatever it might be. And, it just becomes kind of who you are. You center yourself with people in your life who also play athletics, uh, play sports. And so you almost just kind of forget about the other things that you could be doing in your life that can define you and see that you are more than an athlete. And I don't think many athletes, including myself, ever really get that opportunity. Because again, it's always just like you, you wake up, you probably have a 6 a.m. practice, you're going to go to class, you're going to go to practice again, and you're going to go home, you're going to study, and you do that cycle over and over. Um, and that's just kind of who you are and what it is. So you're minimized in, in who you are as a person almost gets lost in the shuffle. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, exactly. I don't think that our coaches really ever asked us that question of like, oh, like what else do you like to do outside of sports? Our coaches definitely did a really good job of, of helping us to think about life after um, college in the sense that, you know, once you leave here, your life's going to look different because you're, you're not going to have that 6am class, you know, you're not going to have that routine, but you're going to have a nine to five, most likely, and that's going to look different. And your coach, your boss won't care if you aren't feeling well, like you have to come to practice, just like you have to go to work. Like those are the kind of things that they would tell us, but it was never like, when you leave here, you're going to lose a huge piece of you let's do some work now and figure out what other activities or hobbies or, you know, things in your life, people in your life that can bring you joy or can add value to your life that isn't this sport anymore. Or how can you stay involved in the sport, maybe through coaching or volunteering? The, those conversations don't really happen because, again, I think the athletic world and often the stigma around mental health and athletics is really just you're here to perform, you're here to suck it up, and I just, I just need you to put on your A game and to get all these stats for me so that I can, you know, get paid ultimately, like I feel good about my job. So there's, there's a lot that goes into it that I don't think coaches are even trained to have that conversation. So you were, you said track, right? Was that what you were? Okay. And, and in track, I, I was a cross country runner. Uh, when you're running, you are completely alone with your thoughts, with, with everything going on, but you also learn at least in my experience, a lot of a lot of runners, you learn to shut it off because if you're thinking about, you know, oh man, I, I flunked that test earlier, whatever, you're not you're not there. And and when the difference is is seconds, you know, sometimes less than that, depending on what you're running. So so there's this misconception, I think, that you are alone with your thoughts, but it's not it's not the healthy thoughts. It's not the you're you're not exactly being mindful in those moments. It's almost the opposite. Mm -hmm, for sure. And I think that's the biggest thing about track or cross country is that it is, it's just you at any time. It's just an individual sport. It is just you. There's so much riding on you, even if you're in a relay. And I think even about like when you get past when you're running, like I was a 400 runner. So, you know, that last 150 to go and you're getting past, like, you're not like, oh, like, yeah, yeah this is great. Like, you're like, this is terrible. I suck. Like, I can't reach this person. My legs hurt so much. Like, I'm so tired. 
And it's that mentality, right? Like when we tell ourselves negative things, that's how we're going to then start acting. So it's like the second you tell your mind that, your body's going to also react and follow. So I think that definitely with, with track, it's like so important to have those positive mental thoughts. But again, like we were never coached to have that. We, I, like, I never was asked that question. Like, what are you telling yourself in the blocks before the race is about to go off? It was just like, we need you to hug the turn tighter here. We need you to fix your form here. And like, those are the things, yeah, I was thinking about in a race, but at the end of the day, those were so small in comparison to those big thoughts that were saying that like, you're terrible. You're not good enough to even win this race or to run this time. Um, so that's what's like, I think really important, especially in athletics for student athletes to realize like the power of what you tell yourself and the power of positivity, even when it seems like, like fluffy and doesn't really matter, but like it has a big impact on like how you carry yourself and what gets brought to you in this world. Definitely. That's a wonderful message. You were saying that, that so much of you, so much of your identity was that you were this athlete that was good enough to compete at uh, a very high level. Who else were you during this time growing up? I mean, who, you know, were, were you in an environment that was fostering good mental health besides athletics? Were, you know, were you someone who was embracing other things outside of the classroom, outside of the track, or, or were you really, you know, two lanes, right? I mean, you have to be in school, you have to at least be getting passing grades. So was it just athletics and in track or whether was there other things in there that were fostering better self impressions? Yeah. And so my parents did a really great job of like putting me in everything. Like I did baseball, I did basketball, I danced, like, but I remember I spent uh, like 15 years of my life dancing, but I hated it because it, my mom used to come early to track practice to take me so I could go to dance, but I wanted to be a track. Um, so to really answer your question, my, I think I had an opportunity to kind of build that identity outside of track specifically because I did other sports. So I never really had an opportunity to build myself outside of sports, but you know, I did other activities, but I think my issue kind of went back to like that self-fulfilling prophecy is just like, I was told so often that I was good at track. Like even with, I played t-ball and, you know, I could never hit a ball, but I could run really fast in between the bases. So I, like people would cheer me on and say, oh, wow, you're really fast. So it always went back to track. And no matter what, even if I like wanted to do something else, I knew that I would get praise and that's what I wanted, like as that perfectionist, like mentality that I had, I wanted people to provide me with that praise. Um, so I definitely think there was opportunities. It's just like my mindset was so into this one particular sport and the goals that I had around that to get me to be perfect, uh, which was obviously unattainable in all, in all realms. <laughs> so you are very much that you know by this point in college you're you're on one path and that is athletics you graduate and you do start going to therapy how do we get from you you've embraced that opportunity or at least you've you've you're open to it which is new for you how do we get from you are a new person uh, investigating therapy or trying out therapy to now where this is this is your life this is what you do <laughs> I know, I know. I never thought I would be here. It's, it's absolutely crazy, but it's amazing. Um, so yeah, so I started doing therapy and I just wanted to start thinking about like how I could 
help other people who are also going through what I had gone through. And ironically, I was asked to come and speak at the college I went to, so University of New Haven. Um, one of my track coaches, um, unfortunately, a volunteer track coach who I had only met once or twice um, had died by suicide. And the students were, you know, having a tough time with it and needing to learn how to practice self-care around that. And just because I had graduated a couple of years before um, and still had a relationship with some of the students there, they asked me to come and speak and just talk about like my experiences as a student athlete and talk about like suicide prevention. And so the reason why I knew about like suicide prevention and things like that is because I, ironically enough, was a psychology major, but again, was so like, you know, focused on that one lane of the two lanes, like academics, I was just like, really knew how to get good grades, but I wasn't necessarily absorbing it. Like, oh, like maybe this is me who's struggling, like I can get help. So I knew about a lot of, you know, psychology. And so I was asked to come and speak and was terrified, like did not want to speak in front of this group, hated public speaking for my entire life. Um, but then when I left there, I was like, okay, well, I didn't even really talk about my own personal story. Like I just gave them tips and tools and I made some kind of an impact. So I was thinking, okay, how can I start talking about what I went through personally and like weave it into this presentation and, and make hopefully a bigger impact. Um, so that was like the, the beginning of it all. And that's when I started my blog, Beautifully Simply You. And the first time I ever shared my story was through there. And again, terrifying because didn't know what I was going to think. Um, as I mentioned, I was in that really toxic relationship. Didn't know if that person was going to read it because I'm very open about that and what I experienced in that relationship. So it was definitely very scary for me, but after getting a lot of positive feedback that from people about what it did for them uh, and their mental health, I was like, okay, this blog is great. Now, how can I use what I did in the speaking platform, what I'm doing in the blog, combine them and start helping people like more in person? And then that's when I just kind of started reaching out to my contacts and doing speeches here and there, little speeches. And then it just blossoms. Like, I, I don't even know what the turning point was, but all of a sudden um, I'm here and speaking a lot virtually now, unfortunately, but um, very important right now to be talking about mental health. But yeah, it just kind of blossomed and I've been speaking to a lot of schools all over the country, um, high school, middle school, and college, and uh, not just student athletes, this entire student body as well. And it's been a really fun and um, rewarding experience to be able to use my story to help others. So before we talk any more about the work, go ahead and once again, shout out where people can find you and all the platforms and all the stuff. So on Instagram, I am beautifully simply you, and then uh, my website beautifullysimplyyou.com that has all of my blogs, and my speaking website is ivywattspeaks.com. Uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. And then on Twitter, I'm at beautsimpyou, but I don't use Twitter as much. So Instagram and, and, and website's good. I can definitely uh, co-sign her Instagram, as I was saying early on. Uh, it's a very, it's a great pick-me-up. You know, sometimes you pop up and it's like just the, the little little spark that I need at the moment. So definitely, definitely can tell people to go follow you on Instagram. So during, I, I'm also, you know, as a speaker, it's been very tough during COVID. Hence, this, this podcast came out of that. I started it back in February because when it started to look like, you know, what it ended up being. Uh, I re recognized that my speaking was going to plummet and it, it did. Um, where are you finding right now that, you know, 
that your message is really resonating. I think that's the best way I want to put that is that, you know, it's, it's an important one for sure, but it's also hard to find people right now that are congregating in a way that, that, you know, I've had a lot of success just one-on-one and a, a couple virtual, but it's so hard right now to make sure this message is getting to where it needs to go. Right. Right. Definitely. Yeah. So the last couple of weeks I found my experience that a lot of the schools that are reaching out are focusing on their student athletes, not to say that that's the only population that matters, but they're reaching out to me because back to that identity piece. So in a short amount of time, an athlete went from like ready to compete in um, spring championships to being told that they have to go home. And then, so they lose, well, winter championships being told they have to go home, losing an entire spring season, and then now most likely losing an entire fall season. Most schools are not allowing athletics. Some are trying to figure it out. But for the most part, students have lost, student athletes have lost so much in such a short amount of time. And when I think about that identity piece, I think about all the things that go on into it. So their sense of belonging, connection, meaning. And so they're sitting there in front of a computer just doing work and they can't, practice with their teammates, they can't compete, they don't have that connection with their coach who could have been their safety net. You know, there's all these different things that's so different in this virtual world that I found that now that schools are settling down and, and realizing we have to be virtual again for probably the rest of 2020, um, they're saying, okay, we realize our student athletes have lost so much. How do we have these conversations and who is the right you know, individual to do this. So, you know, not even that has to be me, but just having these conversations, I think is so important. Um, so that's what I found the last couple of weeks is the student athlete population. But I, I think that I talked to just so many students in general, athletes or non-athletes, and they're just finding it so hard to stay connected with anybody during this virtual space. So I think it's just really important to provide students with these tools right now that you know, and it's okay to not be okay right now. It's like, this is a very unprecedented, crazy time that we're all collectively going through. And some of us are doing okay. And some of us are not doing okay at all. And that's okay. If you know, your friends are doing okay, or look like they're doing okay. And, and you are not at all. And it's okay to, you know, kind of ebb and flow and back in those, those different areas. All right, so I know you've heard me talk about Mountain Made before, but today I want to tell you a little bit about their actual product system. The first is Build. Build is a 50 milligram CBD tablet that saturates your system. The second is Boost. Boost is a 10 milligram CBD chewable with electrolytes and it helps titrate your CBD levels throughout the day. The third is Recover. You take it at the end of the day and it's a 25 milligram CBD chewable with magnolia and helps maximize your rest and recovery. But here's the thing, I don't just talk about it, I actually use it. Boost is my favorite, I take a couple throughout the day and it really leaves me feeling pretty great. So if you add that all together, that's 105 milligrams of CBD every day. And it's at an affordable price too. All of those products are THC free and they ship nationwide. With three easy ways to pay, you can order your CBD today and become a part of the Mountain Made community just like that. So activate your lifestyle today and go like hell. But don't just take my word for it. With over 25 athletes, lifestyle enthusiasts, clinicians, physicians, all amazing people backing them, their product lines are continuing to prove themselves as the real deal. So you can find out more at www.mountainmade.life 
or check them out on social media at MNT Made. All right, back to the episode. So a big piece of that recognizing that it's okay to not be okay is, uh, and especially around your topic of identity, this is major, is the idea uh, that is often called the imposter syndrome. And I bring this up because I was literally just talking about this last night and, and, and my wife is doing a presentation on it right now in, for her company. So you and I have a similar ex- uh, background and let me, let me rephrase that, not at all similar, but, but on paper, we have two things in common. That is, I also got a psychology uh, major and, and I did after my lived experience because I wanted to understand more about what I had gone through. And then you have that lived experience piece, right? I don't know about you, but I get a lot of people who push back on me when I do this work. Mostly it's online because people are very hesitant to say it in real in real life, but they'll say it online, which is why, you know, you don't deserve to be in this space. You don't have a PhD, all that kind of, that's that kind of stuff, especially because we live in a world that does give preference to uh, research or, or uh, you know, research or, or, or learned education over lived experience. Early on, that's something that that was getting to me, and and I've had to combat that. How have you done, or or what have you found that has been successful for you to embrace your own experience and not let, you know, we can call them trolls, because that's usually what they are, but but they're educated trolls, and not let them into your brain. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, you know, I, I, I feel that jab at my heart too. And someone's like, so why, like, why you, like, what, what makes you qualified to do this? And, you know, I'm like, oh, like I have my degree in psychology and I have my master's in public health and mental health first aid certified. Like I'm trying to like prove myself, right. By like rattling off all these things, um, you know, with the caveat of like, you know, I cannot provide clinical one-on-one services, but like I can, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of power in personal story. I feel like personal stories around mental health in particular are one of the biggest pieces that is going to be part of changing the stigma around mental health. And I think, you know, yeah, you can have somebody who knows everything A to Z about mental health problems, but a a student is most likely going to become disengaged learning about, you know, what is anxiety? What is bipolar? Like they're going to become more disengaged than somebody who has actually lived with that mental health problem. So I think there's often a disconnect, but I think for me, um, especially like when I'm struggling, like I'm really grateful, like my, my husband, like I would say to him that I would feel like an imposter when I'm struggling and I have to like go and empower these students to like be positive and love themselves. And like, I'm like struggling to feel that way in that moment. Um, but I always like am reminded by him that it's like, you know, use that, use that as part of your story, like walk up there and be like, I'm having a shitty day. Like, and and like that, that's okay. Right. And like, it's just part of the process. And like, I don't want to ever walk onto a stage and, and, and have students think that like I'm fixed. Right. Like, yes, I've gotten through a lot and I'm in a lot better space than I was, you know, five, six years ago, but I'm definitely not fixed. And so I think I have to continually remind myself of that. Um, and I just think that as more and more people begin to tell their stories, I think more and more administrators will see the value in that rather than looking for somebody who, you know, has a PhD in whatever it might be to provide education. Yeah, my big, I completely agree with you. And I think what's so 
fascinating to me or startling is that people like you and, and, and I are always saying we need to have more people at the table. We're not trying to push the other side away. We're trying to say everyone. And yet it's, it's always the people on the other side who are like, nope, this is the PhD's table or this is, you know, I've done 25 years of research. What have you done? And it's like, so I had a speaker on this podcast uh, last week, uh, Frederick Chagog, who is a, you know, really interesting dude and his was he had the best comeback when he said yeah you know i don't have my phd but i have my phd in life where's yours and i was like man i love that you know because that's so true it's like and and i love the way that 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 you you said that as well because i completely agree that you could know the textbook backwards and forwards but if you haven't lived it you can hear that when when Mm -hmm. you speak Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. Yeah, I definitely agree. I love that. Yeah, PhD in life. It's <laughs> <That's> awesome. <laughs> so, another, I think a, a tougher part as well is that, you know, so there's there's sort of two knocks on the the mental health world, and, and that is number one. We just discussed is that it it puts an emphasis on. Uh, research over or, or learned experience over lived experience. But the other one is, quite frankly, it is the whitest male-dominated male industry there is. I mean, you look at NatCon just had their, their big summer conference last week. Uh, obviously, by the time this comes out, it's going to be two months ago, but whatever. Um, and, and of their six speakers, four of them were white men, and there was one black male and one uh, uh, white woman how like I don't even know the question there you know what I mean it's just like how do we continue so my listeners know because I say this a lot whenever we talk about this topic I have a rule if I'm asked to speak I ask you know what they're who else is on the panel who else whatever and if it's all white men I say you know thank you so much for reaching out I would really prefer that you take my spot and, and get a different because I I can't we all have our own experiences but we need a diversity of thought but how do we continue to combat this when it's those two forces come to head and of course you're going to get only old white men because they're the ones with all the the learned experience right right exactly yeah that's definitely such a good point i appreciate you you know taking that initiative and saying you know who's on this panel and kind of how can i take myself off to provide somebody else with a spot that's going to have more of a diverse experience so i definitely think we need more people like you who who do that for sure um, well, uh, unfortunately i've only been able to do that twice so it is true and I'll, I'll be honest the other times have all been i've been comfortable going oh okay so i'm not it's not just white men all right we're, we're good here but i've only been able to say it twice like all right y'all gotta y'all gotta do better i i can't i can't do this yeah, definitely. I mean, I think a lot of it goes into like having diversity inclusion people on teams and like just being able to call people out and, and recognizing the importance of having those diverse perspectives. But I think in terms of like a, a mental health panel, I think me as a black female, there's not many of me doing what I'm doing. Um, and, you know, I think so there's a lot of stigma around mental health and communities of color. You know, you just don't talk about it. You deal with it within your family, by yourself, with God, like it just, you don't go to therapy. It's very stigmatized. So I think there's a lot of work that needs to continue to happen, particularly in communities of color. And I know there's a lot of really great organizations and websites and apps that are are doing work specifically around that. But I think once those conversations happen more and that stigma begins to chip away and we can empower our young people now to use their voice, no matter if you're black, white, purple, you know, and and then empowering them. Like I, I've spoken to some so many great 
people of color who want to use their voice and share their story in the future when they're older. And so I hope that that stays with them and that they are doing exactly what I'm doing and that there are so many more people of color who are open to sharing their story you know, on a large stage that can be part of those panels. But I think there's a disconnect on two different levels. Like there's a disconnect from like the organizational point of view of like, oh, like, yeah, let's have all like the learned experienced people, like the, you know, old white men. And then let's have, you know, the other side where it's where empowering our people of color to use their voice and know that it's not shameful to get help. And it's, you know, just, I think if we can change that mindset, then we can have more people in this space. So you mentioned that you talk with young, and as someone who talks to a lot of students, you definitely talk with a lot more young people than I do. Are you seeing, I, I ask every guest this, but especially people who, who have this much contact with this sort of the next generation as you do, are you seeing cause for hope? I mean, it's tough sometimes because those of us who work in this, it's tough to see the, the as they say, the, the forest for the trees, you know, and, and yes, little steps are, are great. And I don't want to minimize that, but we're not even, I believe, at you know, break even point yet. We're still back trying to dig our way out from all the stigma that was put before we even get to the starting block to use your, your track analogy. So are you seeing progress as you talk to younger people? Is there something to give us some hope? Yeah, I mean, I think that this generation, I really do believe like they're more compassionate. They're like ready to break the stigma. There's a lot of really, uh, really great student-led organizations, like a lot of the colleges I go to, St. Michael's in Vermont, they were part of my conference, so give them a shout out, but they did a really great job with starting this student-led organization called Hope Happens Here, and they now have chapters across different colleges. I feel like they have like maybe 20 colleges and like 13 high schools that have chapters, um, and so basically like they do a lot of work around education and awareness around mental health, They'll have mental health games. Um, so at a particular like basketball game, all of the student athletes will wear shirts that say like you are loved or other you know uplifting mental wellness quotes. They'll have tables with information around mental health. Um, so I think that they are, there's a lot of students who are trying to make a difference and it's really empowering for me to continue to do, do the work that I'm doing because often I'll leave a presentation and a student will come up to me and say, you know, I never knew that someone else who looked like me or had similar experiences as me also struggled. And now I feel like I can go get help. I can go to the counseling center. I can go to my parent. I can go to my coach, a teacher, whoever, and help, like start to break through what I'm going through. And that really gives me hope because again, like we're, it's the spiral effect of like this one person's okay, ready to get help for themselves. And then you know, hopefully they feel empowered to tell a friend or a loved one, and then that person does the same thing. So I really do feel like I, I leave a lot of presentations feeling really hopeful, either that a student feels empowered to do something for themselves, or they feel really empowered to make a change at their school, talk to an administrator about how they can have more mental health programming. And that's the other thing too, is a lot of times I'll speak to students, but schools will see the value in having me speak to administrators, so coaches or or parents even. Um, and so to me, that also shows that the school really is invested in making a difference because even though I can empower a student to go and get help, their parent might not believe in mental health. They might not believe in therapy. So that's a really big, um, you know, 
issue for them to, to break through. So when a school says, you know, I want you to speak to students, but also to parents and to our teachers, then that shows that they're really dedicated to make the difference all around. So that also provides me with a lot of hope that we're moving in the right direction. I know it's going to take time, but I do feel empowered that these students and often a lot of the administrators are now become, realizing that it's such an important topic and the kids are struggling and we need to we need to have these conversations even if they're uncomfortable sometimes. I love that and that is it sounds like you get to see that hope up front. Let's talk about that education piece for a second though and I, I, this is something that I mentioned in whenever I give speeches to education facilities. Why is it <laughs> that we have PE all the way up? I mean grade school all the way up. If you go to a you know, more forward thinking school, at least back when I was in school in the 90s, you also had some form of health, which is what you put in your body and sex ed. And we never had anything on mental health. I hear that's changing. I'm not seeing it, especially not down here, down here in the South. Is that I mean, how do we how do we make that change? So that less of the work relies on outside the classroom learning, and we can enter into the classroom. Right, yeah, that's so true. Uh, I definitely did not have any kind of mental health education at all growing up, not in, not in high school or you know, when I really needed it when, in my infancy of struggling. Um, but yeah, I think every school is different, every uh, district is different, but I know, you know it was like one in five, they're doing a lot of great work with implementing um, mental health programming education in Cincinnati schools. And so, I mean, I think that's that's really amazing and there's a lot of districts and schools that are doing that um, and even if they're not quite yet at having programming that's maybe a year round or half a year they are trying to have someone come in to do some kind of education so um, I think it's kind of like as more and more schools especially during this time with COVID and just see the impact that it's making um, I do think that there will be a difference but yeah it's definitely definitely still not talked about as much as it should be and it's the other thing that's frustrating is like, again, I, I love what I do. I love empowering students, but it often ends with me. So I will come and I'll do my presentation. And then, you know, the administration or students will ask, well, like, what, what next? What are we going to do now? We had this presentation and we feel good now to do something, but that something might not ever happen. Um, so, and it, unfortunately, as me being one person, I can't, you know, be part of that force moving forward. So it is a lot on this school um, and, I, and I'd love to be part of, you know, helping with that next step, whatever that is for that school. But I, I do think it often just falls away because there's so many other things that they need to do. Um, so it is difficult for sure. Yeah, that would be incredibly, I mean, it, a lot of what people like us do is starting the conversation, but if, if there's no clear handoff, it makes it a lot more difficult. Before we get into the final couple of questions, give my listeners one more chance to hear where they can find you and go follow you. Yeah, definitely. So on Instagram, I'm at beautifully simply you and then a blog website. So I blog every Monday with a new blog on mental health, positivity, what I'm going through. Um, that's beautifully simply you.com. And then my speaking website that has all the information about what I speak on, uh, my availability, that is ivywattspeaks.com. Awesome. So I have the same two questions I ask at the end of every interview. Number one is because, uh, you know, you, you do this work, what are your self-care habits? And uh, kind of piggybacking on that, how are they working during COVID? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, so two of my favorites. Um, so positive affirmations are really huge for me and were huge for me and going through a lot of that self-hate that I experienced. So I try my best to start my mornings with positive affirmations. And I used to be so good and like dedicated and diligent about it, but I, I definitely am like not all the time anymore. But I do recognize a significant difference in my mood when I wake up and I tell myself all these really great things about myself rather than when I just kind of like get up and start my day. Um, so definitely a significant difference in, in that, um, something I love doing though. And then the other big thing that is really huge for me, being an athlete my entire life, um, is exercising and just that mind-body connection. Like if I'm just like really upset or just like struggling, like it's not always the easiest thing to go and exercise, but, or like go for a walk, get some fresh air, but it's really beneficial for my mental health to just take some time and move my body. And like the problem's still gonna be there, but at least I feel better about me and the situation. And it just allows me to, like have a, a form of release. So exercise has been my saving grace during COVID. I have been doing a lot of it and it's just been really helpful for me to kind of feel like that relief and like going for runs is really good for me as well. Um, trying to meditate more, I'm not the best at it, but I know there's a lot of value in it when I do do it, I feel good, but I just like, but yeah, exercise has been huge during COVID. I love it. And, and one of the, uh, so there's, when I'm doing coaching work, there's sort of a, uh, a regiment that I always preach. And that is number one, right off the bat, positive affirmations in the morning. Uh, I have a reminder in my phone for to get up, stretch my back because I have a shitty back and it tightens up <laughs> whenever I sleep. And while I'm doing that, remember to do some positive affirmations is number one. So I think it's, I, I love that. And I love talking to other people who do it because it just makes so much sense to me, right? I mean, mm -hmm. there's a lot of shit that's going to come down the pike during the day. And if you <laughs> exactly. if you have spent the morning telling yourself good things, when that stuff comes, you're, you're, you're already at a, a higher level than in, if, you, if you hadn't done that. Totally, totally. I agree 100%. Love it. Uh, number two, final one is, you know, we've been, we've heard a couple times here today where we can follow you, but who are some people who've been impactful on you? Who can we go follow? Who can we go read? Whatever the case is, who can you give a shout out to? Yeah, so um, Alexa Carlin, she is um, a woman empowerment speaker. She was a she has a podcast uh, or had a pod or was on a podcast. That's what it was. She was on a podcast, um, and it was about her experience going from blogging to speaking. And now she has this like huge event that she does every year around woman empowerment, and that was like really empowering for me um, to see how she came from her story to, to doing the work that I wanted to do. So she is really great and inspiring. So I encourage people to check her out. Um, a book that I really like that's related to mental health in the athletic world is What Made Maddie Run, uh, which is about um, a UPenn student athlete who uh, died by suicide. And it tells her story of the stress and the pressure and expectations, but being a girl that looked like she had it all together. and kind of how we can re rewrite, rewrite the story around suicide and how we portray it, and then also rewrite the story around stigma and, and mental health um, and athletics specifically. So those are two, one book and one person I think are good to check out. I love it. Thank you for being here. One final message and then we'll, we'll close. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And it's been awesome to be able to share my story in situations like this and to be able to share my story in a larger scale. And definitely just to everyone out there listening, know that if you're having a tough time, that it's okay. And 
even if it doesn't feel like it right now, there is hope and there is light. And sometimes you just need to find that person, uh, that self-care technique or whatever it might be to really just encourage you to keep pushing on. But just keep keep pushing, keep going, put one foot in front of the other. And things might not get better for a little bit of time, but just continue to remind yourself that everything's going to you know, be okay if you continue to invest in yourself and surround yourself with positive people. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast and then thought, oh, man, I just, I don't even know where to begin? Well, I have the perfect answer for you. It's Anchor. They have all the tools you need to get started right away, all in one spot. You can do it from your phone or your computer. They'll even distribute for you so you don't have to go looking for places to get your podcast out. But the best part is it's all free. That's right. You can sign up today without any hassle at all. You can even start making money right from the beginning. It's everything you need in a podcast in one place. So check it out today. Go to anchor.fm or download the free Anchor app to get started. All right, we've come to the end of another episode. Thank you for tuning in to the Choose Your Struggle podcast. I hope you learned as much from Ivy as I always do. I, I know you'll be motivated to check out her Instagram and all her work. And Doug was incredibly interesting. So all of the good things. <laughs> I'm going to keep this ending short. As I said before, I'm, I'm on the road and trying to do this and other projects around all the stuff I've got going on here. But this podcast is incredibly important to me. It's incredibly important. It's incredibly meaningful when you all tell me what you like, what you don't like. But more than that, it's incredible to me the impact we can have with small gestures. This week, I'm thinking a lot about the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I um, There are certain episodes of this that get political, and, and I mean that not I hate when people say things like, oh, we shouldn't get political when talking about things like Black Lives Matter because that's not political. Um, but I mean literally the definition. You know, I had Katie Hill on here who is a, a former politician. We talked politics. In some of the, the, the episodes, we specifically talked politics. That being said, it's not a politics podcast, so I don't, I don't get into it too, too much. But this week, there's something applied, you know, not just the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg who was a champion for a lot of really incredible things. But I mean, use her passing to advocate for something. The NIH, National Institute of Health, which is the government's health wing, recently released their budget for the next fiscal year. And uh, as with most things, there is a huge disparity between physical and mental health which is sad because the National Institute of Health does a lot of great things for mental health. This is not one of them. So let me, let me tell you, just to put this in perspective, so it's not just a guy saying ridiculous things, right? So each different cancer, and in fact, there is a line item for just cancer research altogether, but each individual cancer has its own light item. And breast cancer uh, which is a very common one, obviously, deserves a lot of research. That's not my point here, but I'm just going to use these numbers to make a, an example. Breast cancer gets $694 million for research in the next year's fiscal budget. To put that in perspective, bipolar disorder research, $87 million. $87. $87 million 
compared to 694 for breast cancer. Cervical cancer, 104. Okay. Chronic pain, $714 million. And again, I'm not saying these incredibly important causes shouldn't get this money. What I'm saying is it's ridiculous that the two are not closer together, right? Depression is the largest in, in mental health, and it's getting $553 million, which is incredible. Depression, it affects more people than breast cancer. Like, that's, that's, not, that's not me advocating. That's literally data. And yet it's getting less. And it's because we do not honor mental health the way that we honor physical health. So what does this have to do with our BG and, and, and all that? I don't think writing our senators do, does a lot. I don't think writing our congressmen does a lot. I don't think yada, yada, yada. I, I, I just don't. And that's from a guy who worked in politics because the results aren't there. That being said, because of the way our laws work, every email, every many different forms of, of communication that these elected officials get, it goes on record and, and it's, it's something that a lot of people can see. So you see from time to time journalists who expose this and say, despite getting, you know, 100,000 calls or whatever the case is, this guy voted the way that he was going to vote anyways. Where am I going with this? Write your elected officials and just say, hey, as a person who cares about X, as a person who suffers from Y, I think it's ridiculous that blah, blah, blah. And I'll put the, this link in the show notes for the spending, but you can find it at report.nih.gov. And then there's a link for categorical spending. You can see that there. And so this isn't like, hey, guys, I heard from this report, you know, and whatever that this is the case. No, it's literally there. They have it on their website. And you can say, I think it's ridiculous that something as important as bipolar disorder is going to get not even a seventh, not even a sixth, whatever the literal math is, of the research that these other things are getting. So write your, your senators, write your congressmen, you know, hell, tweet about it. Do things that raises this awareness because that's the only way that maybe this changes. And again, you heard me say, I don't really believe that it will do a lot, but maybe, maybe we can have a little bit of impact. So that's your good egg for today. Your card is going to be read by my mother. <laughs> As I said last week, I did some recording with my, my mother and with my, my father. He read last week, so my mom's going to do this week, and then they will alternate for the next couple of weeks. So your card is... Nuggets of Kindness Cards. The very least you deserve is the chance to be the captain of your own ship. You do get to set the pace and step out of the race. Thank you to her for reading that. That's a good one, and it's very important. You know, right now we need to be doing everything we can. There's a lot, <laughs> a lot to bug us right now, and it's easy to get down. Uh, I'm enjoying walking around this beautiful city of Philadelphia with my wife. Uh, our dog is with us, and she's having the time of her life, and it's easy to sort of push it to the side and enjoy the moment, but I know not everybody has that privilege. So that's why I do these cards is just to give a little example of ways to sort of move forward in your life or to, to block it out for even 10 minutes. All right, 
that's it for this week. Thank you for tuning in. I will be back in my current home city of Daniel Island, South Carolina next week. And I look forward to hearing from you after this episode, how you liked it, what you didn't like. Uh, fill out the podcast survey, check out the sponsors, check out the Patreon, do all those things. But most importantly, show your empathy, be vulnerable, spread some love, and choose your struggle. So it looks like we're going to be hanging out inside for at least a little while longer. And with the colder months coming up fast, there's never been a more perfect time to stock up on all your comfy clothes. Lucky for you, you listen to the Choose Your Struggle podcast, and I have a sweet deal for you today. Check out my sponsor, Pair of Thieves. They've got everything you need, from shorts to lounge pants to underwear and bras. They even have a line of Disney socks with all your favorite characters on it. But here's the best part. If you use the link in the show notes or on my podcast website and the discount code Rakuten Thieves, don't worry, that's in the show notes too, you'll get 20% off every full price item in your shopping cart. So stock up on all your comfy clothes today and help out the podcast in the process.